This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. I've often wondered about the preponderance of 30-somethings on the benches of South Africa's official opposition political party, the Democratic Alliance. Because in most democracies, politics is the preserve of an older generation. It's an area dominated by those looking for a new challenge after establishing themselves mostly financially and elsewhere. Or in developing countries like South Africa, you'll see the parliamentarians as those given a reward for loyal service to the party over many years. But the Democratic Alliance's 37-year-old leader, Muzi Maimani, is surrounded by a more vigorous animal. Among Muzi's young bucks is Dean McPherson the fresh-faced shadow minister of trade and industry. Elected to parliament in 2014 as a 29-year-old, McPherson typifies this wave of educated, articulate young politicians that occupy the opposition benches, and he visited me at our base on the South Bank of London, while in the city as part of a five-person South African parliamentary team visiting the UK to glean lessons on how to deal better with unsecured lending. What resulted, as you'll hear in what follows, is not terribly good news for banking profits. This team has now moved on to Germany to study industrial policy in Europe's most successful economy. But also, they will be engaging with German politicians, as you'll hear, on ways for the two countries to cooperate over how to address the massive Steinhoff fraud. Steinhoff, a South African domiciled company, had its primary listing on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. Well, this in-depth interview deals with these issues and much more. But we start off with McPherson's response to my question on how someone like him, given his age, got into politics in the first place. I've actually been a public representative since 2009. I was a ward councillor in a, in a beautiful place called Durban North in, in Etiquini, um, also known as Durban. And, that must have been a uh, tough job given the ANC's dominance in that council. Well, it certainly was, but it was made a lot easier that my, uh, my predecessor was John Stenhausen. Uh, so, you know, he had built up, uh, you know, a really good, uh, uh, Name with the uh, with the public, and and he had secured a lot of great projects, uh, and had worked you know really well with the municipality to de- to to deliver on on his election promises. So, uh, you know, I certainly you know had a great foundation in learning from John, and also going into a ward that was pretty well run, um, but also uh, you know that uh, was able to you know, keep you on your toes, uh, and you also had to you know go out there and fight for the residents uh, in an ANC run council. John is the chief whip of, of the DA. That's the guy right. we see in the front seat. Also known as, yeah, also known as Mr. Point of Order. So, Belek Investor's worst nightmare. So, uh, yeah, he, he's had some uh, interesting times. Where do you sit in that? Uh, well, I sit sort of uh, about four or five rows to the back. Uh, seating in Parliament's done on a, on a precedence level, so you take into account 
uh, sort of years of service position that you hold in the party, uh, in parliament, and also in the uh, in the leadership of the party. So we can spot you on television. Yeah, yeah, no, four rows back. Yeah, yeah, I'm always uh, uh, people whenever they're watching TV always uh, have a look of disgust on my face when sort of it kicks off in parliament. Um, but uh, so I'm I'm pretty identifiable. Do you go often? I do, yeah. I mean, I try and spend as much time as I can in Parliament. I also have a lot of commitments in meeting with industry, stakeholders, uh, you know, developing policy uh, for the party. Uh, so it's not always easy to be uh, in, in the House all the time. Uh, if I'm not there, I'm, I'm meeting with someone, but uh, I try and spend as much time as I can in Parliament. All right. So you didn't answer my first question. What got you into politics? Um, I, I think I've always been a sort of a civic-minded a person as as long as I can remember, you know, being a young boy, um, and sort of believing, you know, that, that things weren't right. Uh, I remember I went to school. That uh, there were only two black people in my twelve years of going to school, and I kind of thought that that was really odd. Had two black fellows, kids. Yeah, there were only two black uh, kids in in, in my twelve years. It, well, one was a former Model C school uh, called Ethelton Primary, and then I went to a private school uh, called Crawford. Lucia. It was uh, sort of one of those, sort of this, the, the first wave of private education uh, sort of startups in South Africa. And I, and I thought that that was, you know, sort of it, it was odd that I had come across so few black people in school. Um, and I started questioning, you know, why that was, you know, why, you know, you, you know, we were in a different place to where, you know, black kids were. And it got me thinking about sort of, you know, what was wrong with South Africa and what, you know, what South Africa really needed to be. I uh, enjoyed reading newspapers and, and watching the news and trying to understand as a kid what was really going on in the country. Um, and so I just sort of developed this love for, uh, for, for politics and, and, and have been lucky enough to be able to, to carry that through. By profession, I'm actually not uh, you know, a politician. I'm actually a businessman. I, s- I started a manufacturing business in textiles. Um, I still have that. Uh, so I think that I've sort of got a, a well-rounded understanding of sort of the manufacturing, the industrial side of South Africa as well as, as the political side. You know, and hopefully I'll try and put that together for, uh, for the better use of the country. How old are you? I'm 33. There are a lot of that age group. That was my question, yeah. John. Yeah, no, it's not yeah, much older. No, John's about 40. So. Muzi is, uh, what, 36, 37? No, yeah, so yeah. it's, it's the 30-somethings, mm. uh, bright young 30-somethings in the DA. What, what was it about the party that's attracted these people? Uh, well, um, I was attracted to the party by someone like John, uh, who was young, who was able to hold a leadership position uh, in the party. He was the leader of the DA in, in Durban um, at that time. I mean, and I thought that that was quite extraordinary, that here was a political party that was able to, you know, take on young people, wasn't, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, wanting to use them for election purposes, but actually wanted to hear from them, wanted to embrace them, and wanted to give them an opportunity. Uh, and I'm very lucky that, uh, and very grateful that, you know, I was elected to Parliament when I was 29. I was sort of one of the very younger people in, in this current Parliament. Um, and I don't know of, you know, many political parties, quite frankly, in the world that actually, you know, take on young people like the DA does and, and give them the opportunities. We have uh, the mayor of Midval in Gauteng. 
he's not even 30. Uh, you know, we have uh, MPLs and councillors across the country. We just have elected uh, a, a young lady by the name of Nicole Graham to lead the Durban caucus. Uh, she's not 30. So, you know, I just think that there's something uh, in the DA that recognises young people, is prepared to give them the opportunity, and young people, uh, you know, react favourably to that. Jordan, how old is he? Yeah, Jordan's actually a year younger than me, so... Um, He's the chief of staff in Moosey's office, a huge responsibility, someone who was elected to parliament when he was 23. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, I think that we, when you look at the DA benches, you know, MPs are getting younger. When you look at the ANC benches, you know, the MPs are getting greyer. So, you know, I, I think that that can only bode the party well in the future. And, and I think it gives a lot of, a lot of other parties have a lot to think about when it comes to, uh, you know, allowing young people to represent, uh, you know, constituents. Gwen Gwenya, uh, she was a big coup uh, from, certainly from the people at the IRR who were very sad to see her go. Is she making any impact? I mean, she is just a, one of those impressive South Africans, uh, you know, that I have so much time for. Uh, Gwen's a great friend of mine. Uh, I think that she is very, uh, she's very intelligent. I think that she brings a new dynamic to our uh, policy space. Um, and I think that she's, uh, you know, just going to grow into into an exceptional, uh, you know, politician in years to come. And you know, I think that she also gives us a lot to think about. Uh, and you know, she challenges, uh, you know, people's, uh, you know, understandings and beliefs, uh, even in the DA and, and certainly outside of the DA. And that and that can only be good for us as a party and certainly for politics uh, in South Africa. So that's the good news of the DA. Mm. But your opponent. Uh, the ruling party, ANC, changed direction on the 18th of December last year. Instead of being easy meat for you in the next election, they've got a very powerful opponent in Cyril Ramaphosa who's, who's certainly got the, the, the uh, support of the international community. The RAND is strengthening 20% since his election or just before his election. How do you, how do you as a, uh, putting on your political hat now, deal with something like that? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, in, in politics, um, you know, nothing is constant, um, you know, and the, the opposition for us in the ANC was bound to change. Um, I think that, um, that Cyril has certainly brought uh, a newfound optimism uh, in South Africa. I think, you know, certainly seeing the RAND strengthen uh, has been interesting, but I, I'm not sure that that's built... Uh, you know, on, on fundamentals, but rather on sentiment. And sentiment can only last for so long. And I think already South Africans are starting to ask, you know, the tough questions of Cyril. Like, when are you going to take a concrete action uh, against people like the Northwest, uh, you know, Premier? When he left London to come and deal, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the crisis that's unfolding in the Northwest, only to sort of walk away and say, well, we'll have to talk about it. Um, so, you know, I think what we need to see from the president is some, some, some bold decisions. Uh, I think he's tied himself in knots over land expropriation without compensation. Uh, you know, it's all good and well putting together this pack of investment lines. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a difficult sell to go out to the investment community asking for 100 billion rand worth of investment when there's so much policy uncertainty that exists uh, in South Africa. But let's not forget, we've been down this road before. Uh, you know, Thabo Mbeki was seen as this aloof leader who had, you know, forgotten uh, South Africans. And there was great euphoria when Jacob Zuma came along, you know, the man who was close to the people, who was going to lead, you know, from the ground. Uh, and that ended in disaster. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not... Um, 
as enthusiastic as, as, as some other people would be uh, about Cyril. I think he's deeply compromised. I think that his biggest competition sits uh, next to him in Parliament, by the, by a gentleman by the name of David Mabuza. I mean, who you know, it's one thing to have corrupt politicians. It's, others, it's another uh, thing to have politicians who are accused of bumping off their competitors <laughs> in Mpumalanga. And that's the kind of you know, people that are, are, are uh, you know, surrounding... So Mabuza's got to come clean in some way. Well, you know, Cyril can yeah, I, I mean, but, but I mean, I mean, I think that there's a whole rotten state behind Cyril Ramaphosa, and I'm not sure that one man, uh, you know, with the kind of political trade-offs that Cyril had to make leading up to the 18th of December at Nazrek, is capable of of pulling that, uh, you know, that organisation uh, called the ANC uh, together. I mean, he still has, you know, deeply compromised people in his cabinet. He said he was going to downsize his cabinet. We now know that's not going to happen. That's now being called a transitional cabinet to the elections. And so, you know, um, you know, he sort of says one thing and then sort of starts walking it back when he sort of sees how, you know, unpalatable it is in, in the ANC. Because Cyril may have the, you know, the, the perceived support of South Africans, but I don't necessarily think that he has the support of the ANC on, on some of the tough decisions uh, you know, that he's going to have to make in the future. Your own portfolio, trade and industry, uh, Rob Davies has been there a long time. Uh, he has put some enthusiastic ideas on the table. What are the areas where, to leave your criticism aside yeah. for a minute, the areas where he is making progress? Well, you know, I think that um, the, the formation of um, Invest South Africa uh, was certainly a, a great uh, addition to trying to promote South Africa and trying to promote, uh, you know, the opportunities um, that could exist uh, in the country. But I think that you know one of the things that uh, that Rob uh, struggles with is um, I don't think he has the you know the political buy-in uh, from the cabinet to 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 see the reforms that need to take place. And I think that some of those reforms need to take place, certainly in the regulatory environment. It's very difficult to do business in South Africa. You know, when you do have a business, you feel like you're fighting against all this red tape. It's difficult to access finance if you can't get that from, uh, you know, traditional finance institutions. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just think that he sort of lost that get-up-and-go desire that he had a couple of years ago. No, Rob's not the most sort of sociable kind of guy, you know, and I think he sort of likes to keep to himself and, 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 and just get on with the work, which, which is good. You know, he's not a Malusi Gagaba who's sort of focused on being in, on Instagram uh, the entire time. He just wants to get the work done. You know, we work well together. He, he's always prepared to listen to me and, and hear me out. And, and I think that we have a much better relationship than, uh, than exists in, in, in other portfolios. Um, but I think that, you know, in trade and industry, there's some really tough decisions that, that have to be made. Um, you know, and, and I think that we need policy certainty uh, to go out there and attract that investment, to create that uh, environment, that enabling environment, uh, that uh, that can see investment in things like agriculture. I mean, there's a million jobs uh, that can be created in agriculture. Um, but without that policy certainty, it's very, very difficult. And we need a champion in, in cabinet to actually go and say, you know, guys, we need to sort this out. We need some policy uncertainty. Uh, we need some policy certainty. Let's make it happen. So agriculture is one. What are the other tough decisions that need to be taken? I think, you know, BE is, uh, you know, it's sort of morphed into this... Um, this giant that you know excludes black South Africans, uh, you know, from climbing up the ladder. 
Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a vocal critic of it. I, I think there's nothing broad about broad-based empowerment. Um, I think you know these hundred black industrialists that the uh, that the departments uh, you know gone on a drive to create. I've, you know, I've, Have they found any yet? Well, I mean, I think they've created seventy-seven, but they still can't tell me, or they won't tell me who those people are, which I find extraordinary. They won't even ask, answer that question in a parliamentary question. Um, Just dwell there a little bit. Mm. What is the philosophy behind creating not don't mm. criticize it but yeah. just tell me what the philosophy is behind creating them and how are they selected well you see you know so the selection process is supposed to be sort of done by this board within the dti and it's supposed to you know try and you know create uh, you know captains of industry uh, in uh, amongst black people in in south africa but the problem with, you know, in industrialists... And then fund them or give them... Yeah, yeah, and sort of give them soft loans to sort of, you know, you know sort of expand their businesses. But, but you know, industrialists, by their very nature, are not created. Uh, you know, they progress from being a small business to a medium business to sort of being this big industrialist. And the problem is, is that they're not creating any new jobs. So they're being funded to buy existing uh, industrial businesses, which you know is 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 a departure from what was originally supposed to happen, um, you know, and we want to see obviously you know you, you know you know more black people employment, and we want to see more black executives, um, but the way that BE and the way that the uh, black industrialist uh, program is set up is that unless you literally hold you know favour you know with a certain you know you know grouping. In government, it's it's next to impossible to be included in that. I mean, now, and I, as a member of the opposition, I mean, I hear so often about you know BE deals that are done on the basis of a predetermined individual that has said, well, this is who you need to work with. Now, that's there's nothing broad and there's nothing empowering about that. So, you know, I think that we need to reform that. The EU Chamber of Commerce has said it's one of the biggest concerns that their investors have about coming into South Africa. So we know it's a problem. We know we need to do a lot of work on it. Um, and, you know, we better do it sooner rather than later. You mentioned the EU. We're sitting in London. Mm. Uh, what are you doing here? Well, I'm, I'm here with my committee. Uh, we're doing um, a, a committee trip looking at a bill that we are dealing with. It's a committee bill. It's called a debt intervention bill. Mm. Who's the committee? Um, so there's three ANC members. Uh, there's myself and a member from the EFF. And so we've been meeting with different stakeholders uh, from the Financial Conduct Authority to members of parliament uh, to uh, um, various other groups. And, and we're trying to look at how can we uh, assist people that are over-indebted, that have no prospects of paying that debt, rehabilitating them and trying to bring them back into the credit market. And then tomorrow we leave for Germany. We're going to look at industrial policy uh, with our German counterparts um, and, and hopefully try and bring some best, best practices back to South Africa. That's interesting. Just starting on the first one with the deeply indebted South Africans, do you have any idea how many people are affected? Well, I mean, according to the National Treasury, there could be anything up to 9 million uh, South Africans that earn less than 7,500 rand a month and have up to 50,000 rand unsecured credit, um, you know, with, with uh, limited prospects of paying them back. Um, it, you know, this is a committee bill that was developed by, uh, by, uh, by the Trade and Industry Committee. It's not often that it happens. I think it's only the second time that this is happening in, in Parliament. So it's quite a unique uh, experience to be, to be a part of. Um, 
But, you know, I think that we're looking at, you know, many other things about how do we actually reform credit legislation to not only protect people from being lent money that they shouldn't have in the first place, but how do we also make access to credit for those that may not uh, always qualify for credit, uh, but, you know, should be able to start in some limited way and be able to build up a healthy credit portfolio um, over time uh, so that they can have a good credit uh, history. And, I mean, I think that it's a, it's a you know, a unique experience for me. I've certainly learned a lot. Uh, and I think that if we get it right, we can certainly be, you know, pretty progressive on the, on the world stage uh, when it comes to credit provision, debt intervention, um, you know, and, uh, you know, having a credit policy, uh, you know, that really speaks to, you know, people that want to aspire and move sort of up the ladder in life. We do know that the profit margins that are being enjoyed by the banks in this field are significantly higher than other areas of their business, hence the, the attraction for the banking uh, fraternity. What you've learned here, is it likely that you can tighten up those rules a bit, in other words, have an impact on the bank profitability in this area? Well, I mean, I think we've really started that process. We, uh, we were a part of uh, gazetting a cap on, on interest rates um, in South Africa, uh, and I think that that's a, a pretty progressive policy. We're depending on the type of credit you're looking at, from a traditional home loan to vehicle finance to unsecured credit. There are now maximum uh, caps uh, that... Um, that uh, uh, credit providers, uh, whether they are banks or, 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 or uh, clothing retailers, uh, can charge. So I think that we're sort of on the way there. The interesting thing about about this uh, legislation is that it, you know, most of those customers that have unsecured credit are not actually banked individuals or with the bank, but rather find themselves sort of having accounts with clothing retailers uh, and micro lenders. And so what we need to do is strike a balance where we, you know, bring more regulation in, but we don't at the same time increase the cost of credit and restrict uh, access to credit. Because we also know that there's a lot of South Africans that, you know, sort of uh, depend on that form of credit just to sort of get through uh, every every month. And many more who go to loan sharks. So well, you, you know, don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. Well, I mean, that's my, if I did have a big criticism of this bill, it would be that it, it's not dealing with unscrupulous lenders. Now, I've seen sort of research that suggests that there's 4 million South Africans that have credit with loan sharks, and they have zero protection whatsoever. They have no one to turn to. Uh, and, and, and I think that that's really the unspoken uh, problem that, that's being ignored. And I think it's a big missed opportunity. It's something that I'm fighting for because, you know, I, I, I don't think that we can just, you know, say, you know, we're going to help those people that are earning a salary or can actually turn to regulation to a system. We need to help those most vulnerable people that are caught in these, in these debt traps with loan sharks that have no recourse uh, to, to any assistance. Dean, you're moving on to Germany, mm. and before we talk about their industrial policy, the uh, topic of conversation almost certainly is going to be Steinhoff, listed it's, it's, uh, in, on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange, cost South Africans, take a figure, two, three, four hundred billion rand, yeah. and uh, has cost European banks mm. probably as much as well. What's the, the, um, what, how can the Germans help you to get to the bottom of a mess which appears to have actually 
been happening all in Europe rather than in South Africa. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think we, you know, just uh, two weeks ago, we learned that the sort of European property portfolio was uh, overvalued by double. Um, so, you know, I think that there are every day that goes by. I think that there's more and more questions that are are relating to Steinhoff and to how you know such a a, a massive uh, sort of you know fraud could actually take place. Um, so, you know, we're certainly going to take that opportunity to engage uh, with our counterparts in Germany and sort of understand how their regulatory bodies, uh, you know, sort of allowed... Uh, missed this. Mm. Well, missed it as well, you know. Uh, you, you know, we have, you know, strong, uh, you know, regulation when it comes to accounting practices um, in, in South Africa. And, and I think that as sort of the 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 cloak or, or, or the Mr. Round Steinhoff has started to sort of receive... We've actually seen that a lot of it originates in Germany. We, I think we need to understand how did that happen. But I think that we also need to understand, you know, you know how, you know, you know, what can we do better in South Africa to to protect our investment, uh, certainly through government pension funds, uh, into into companies like Steinhoff. You know, the PRC is sort of scratching around trying to understand, you know, how did this happen? But I think that there's a lot of uh, you know, lessons that we have to learn, and if we don't learn them, it'll be another. There'll be another Steinhoff waiting, waiting in the wings. Were you involved in the recent hearings in Parliament? So, 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 so our sort of interaction with Steinhoff relates to uh, to to the Companies Act, um, and uh, and sort of some uh, alleged uh, you know um, sort of uh, misgivings uh, uh, around that. Uh, so our our involvement is is sort of very very limited, um, but the fact that Marcus Yoster, the chief executive, refused to mm-hmm. come before the portfolio committee, look, I don't think, yeah, I don't, do no, that? I don't think he's going to be able to get away with it. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, South African legislation is is very very clear. You know, I mean, Parliament has the right to to summon any individual uh, to Parliament. I mean, there is a process to get to that. I mean, Parliament will first invite you if you don't do that. Uh, they will, you know, go and issue a subpoena, um, and if you don't do that, uh, a warrant of arrest will be issued uh, f- uh, for uh, for that. Um, but 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 I think that most of the interest resides in the finance committee. I know that my colleague David Manu has been doing a, an exceptional job in trying to bring Steinhoff to uh, to to the committee and make sure that Marcus Joost appears before Parliament and 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 answers for his role uh, um, in uh, in what happened there. Uh, but what's been interesting is to sort of see how how sort of the governing party have sort of they've been less reluctant or less aggressive as uh, aggressive as David has been in trying to get them uh, in. Uh, I'm not sure why that is. Um, you know, maybe there's something involved there. I'm not sure. But um, hopefully, at the end of the day, we'll get to the bottom and understand how this happened so it doesn't happen again. Mm. As far as the industrial policy is concerned, what are you th- what are you hoping to learn from the Germans? I think that we need to understand, you know, you know, you know, what does the fourth industrial revolution look like for South Africa? Um, I think that uh, you know it has the potential to to, to creep up on us a, a lot quicker than we might think. Uh, you know, we're still trying to you know play catch up um, after years of non-investment, um, you know, in in, in industrialisation in South Africa. Um, I think that it's uh, you know it's a process that. That doesn't happen overnight. You've got to have your foundations and uh, right. You've got to be solid 
in, in, in what you want to offer and what you want to specialize in. Um, you know, Germany has, you know, I think has, has focused on some, on some great initiatives. I mean, I mean, it's no uh, secret that, you know, one of their great, uh, you know, focuses on automotive uh, products, uh, you know, components. And, and I think that South Africa has great opportunity to sort of say, look, you know, this is what we can be good at. This is where there is great opportunity for us to industrialize, to focus on specific areas of manufacturing, and we can be world leaders in that. Uh, but we, we need to know what it is we want um, and, and what are the best processes and policies and finance options to actually make that happen. Because I think that one of the big uh, uh, mistakes that we can make is have a you know, great industrial policy action plan, uh, you know, which uh, Mr. Davies uh, you know, has worked hard on doing. But unless you have the financial tools to, to finance that and to back that up, it, it, it's always going to remain uh, you know, a, a, a great document. So I'm interested to understand, you know, how do they finance this industrialization? What are the policy tools that they use to drive it? Uh, you know, and how can South Africa learn from that? So there are five of you. Mm. Do you talk uh, after the meetings together or do you kind of go your own way? No, I mean, uh, Joan Fubbs, who's the committee chairperson, and myself, uh, we're, we're great friends. Uh, we've traveled, uh, you know, often to, uh, together. And, you know, I think that, you know, South Africans often watch Parliament uh, parliamentary TV and they see sort of, you know, the ANC and the DA going at each other, you know, and saying, you know, terrible things and they think to themselves, you know, how can ever anything get done? But what they don't see is sort of, uh, you know, actually the shared interest that, that we have on a lot of things uh, and that, you know, the actual the decency that we have towards each other, that we're actually able to sit down, have rational arguments um, and discussions with each other and agree to disagree on something. We're not going to agree on everything. But, you know, certainly here we know that we're representing Parliament, we're representing the country, we're here to, uh, to find out information uh, to make our legislation better that will help uh, South Africans. Um, so, you know, we get on great and we have a common purpose. We have meetings in the morning and in the evening and, you know, try to find out. Notes. Yeah, and, and, you know, try and find out, you know, what we agree on, what we disagree on, and, but more importantly, why we disagree on those things. And, you, you know, hopefully we actually find each other, you know, along the road uh, in, in this process. That was Dean McPherson, South Africa's Shadow Minister of Trade and Industry. This has been the Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. Until the next time, cheerio.